0: Have a Bible with you this morning if you want to open that or turn that on we are going to be in mark chapter 16 this morning mark chapter 16 if you happen to not have a Bible with you that's okay the words are going to be on the screen uh, for you as well we are finishing up the gospel of Mark this morning so we are going to be in mark chapter 16 next week I want to invite you back because we're going to start a new four-part series next week looking at the core values of our church and we're just entitling that core. Who are we in the core of our church as believers in Jesus Christ, what are we out to do? What do we believe? How do we function in those ways? So I invite you back next week as we take a look at who we are as a church and do what we do. But this morning we are finishing up Mark chapter 16. So I'm going to invite you to stand, if you don't mind, as we read verses 1 uh, through 8 together. Again, if you're new with us today, we, we do this just to honor the reading of God's Word publicly. In verse 1, Mark writes, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go out and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, verse 3 says, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large, and entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. Verse 6 says, and they said to him, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. Verse 7, they said, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as I told you. Verse 8 says, They went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Father God, thank you for an empty tomb. Thank you this morning the words we hold in our hands we have read out loud are your words, and I pray today, Father, that they encourage our hearts so we may better honor and love you with the lives you've given us. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, Billy Graham once said, if I were an enemy of Christianity, I would aim right at the resurrection because the resurrection of Jesus is the heart of Christianity. And that's what Billy Graham said. If I was an enemy of Christianity, I'd aim right at the resurrection because the resurrection is the heart of Christianity. See, to say that Jesus died on the cross, that's one thing. To say that Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world, that's another thing. To say that Jesus Christ was put in a tomb and three days later came back to life, well, that's a whole nother thing altogether. Because, see, Christianity starts where every other religion stops, right? We start where everybody else stops, I mean, think about it this way. Every other religion has a leader. And here's the facts. Every leader of every religion is born, he lives, he dies. Same in Christianity. We have a leader who was born, who lived, who died. What separates Christians from every other religion is the fact we're the ones who claim our Savior came back to life. We're the only ones to make that claim. So that's where we start when everybody else stops. So when you stop and think about it, the resurrection of Jesus, it demands a verdict. You, you've got to make a decision. You've got to make a decision today. Is the resurrection of Jesus a yes or is it a no? Is it true? Is it false? Is it fact or is it fiction? You don't walk away from Jesus without making a decision. You've got to make that decision. At the end of our service, I'm going to invite you to make that decision, to either say, yes, I believe in this man by the name of Jesus who died on the cross for my sins and on the third day rose again, or or I don't. I'm going to ask you to make a decision. Is it fact or is it false? Is it fiction or is it true? But first, let's just look back again at that account that we read in verses 1 through 8. Verse 1, you see what happened. It, it, it's the Sabbath was passed, so it's early Sunday morning. Mark tells us as Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, they're bringing spices to go and anoint Jesus. They want to give Jesus a, a proper burial. Now, why it's important is it's those ladies who went back to the tomb the next day is because verse 47 they're the ones who saw where Jesus was buried. So verse 47 of chapter 15 says Mary Magdalene and the Mary of Joseph saw where he was laid, all right? So they saw where they put him in the tomb, and the next day they're going back now to anoint his body for a proper burial. But notice something in verse 3. They're not expecting a resurrection. Isn't that interesting? I mean, on the way, they're like, hey, we got a problem. That's a big stone. I mean, Mary, I know you've been doing CrossFit Mary Magdalene, you hadn't really been working out at all, and Solomon, you can't even hardly lift a brick at your age. So I, how, in, how in the world are we going to get this big tomb, you know, into the tomb? We, we can't move this rock ourselves. You know, the other guys, they're still out hiding, and they don't want to come out of the house. What are we going to do? We got this big stone. They're not expecting a resurrection. Let me ask you this. What did you walk in today expecting God to do in your life? How many days do you really wake up and do you expect God to do something? You're praying, you expect Him to answer? I mean, you you got a situation, you expect Him to intercede? Here's the thing, sometimes as Christians, we can go on and on about expecting God not to do the miraculous. But let me tell you, He's a God who's a living God who still does the miraculous, amen? And so they're showing up to the tomb, they really don't expect Jesus To, you know, be risen. But then they, verse 4, they see the stones roll back. And then verse 5, you see an angel... There's a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and and they're they're afraid. This is an angel. Now uh, Matthew says it's one, Luke says it's two, John says it's one, and and sometimes you, you read the accounts in the Gospels, you're like, why why does some of them they say there's two of them and one of them? Here's why Mark does it because Mark I think just has some attention span issues. And Mark, if you've read through his gospel, he's always like this, right? He wants to think he just wants to put the facts out there quickly, but Mark doesn't want you to get distracted a lot of times by a lot of things. So a lot of times where there's Matthew says there was two demoniacs that got healed, Mark says there's one, because Mark's constantly pointing you not to the sub-characters of the story, but to the character of the story. And Mark, what he's doing is he's showing you, yeah, there is an angel, and this angel said to the women, hey, don't be alarmed. Why are you here seeking the living among the dead? What does he say in verse 6? he's not here. He's risen. See, he's, he's pointing you to that fact that the body of Jesus is gone. He's risen. And folks, let me tell you this, that changes everything. I, I mean, just look at verse 6 again, and, and let's, let's read it, because man, if there's one verse this morning that ought to just grab your heart and you go, amen, Lord, thank you, is verse 6. Don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He's risen, he's not here. Amen. Right? That absolutely changes everything. All of history swings on that verse right there. I I love the hymn that we sang earlier today, and it's this. Love's redeeming work is done, fought the fight, the battle won. Death in vain forbids him rise. Christ has opened paradise, lives again our glorious king. Where, O death, is now thy sting? Once he died our souls to save, here's thy victory boasting grave. Christ the Lord is what? Risen Today, you know, isn't that amazing news? Man, that doesn't, that should never get old in our lives. Because here's the thing. If that body's still in that tomb, you've got no forgiveness of sin. I don't have forgiveness of sin. He's still in that tomb. You really, your faith is, it's just futile. There's, there's nothing to really believe in. He's still in that tomb. He didn't defeat death on your behalf. That means you're going to lose when you die. But because he's risen, all of that is reversed. Now we have hope today. We have hope for all of eternity. Now because he's risen, we have victory over the grave. We have forgiveness of sin. We have relationship with this man by the name of Jesus. And that, friends, is the best news I can tell you all day long. He is risen. Now, they get that news boy, what would you have done? Right? I mean, verse 7, the angel says, go tell the disciples and Peter, he's going before you in Galilee. There you'll see him just as he told you. And that's important right there because in chapter 14, one of the last things Jesus tells his disciples is that, listen, I'm going to die on the cross. I'm going to be put in a tomb. Three days later, I'm going to come back from the grave and I'm going to meet you in Galilee. He said that chapter 14, right around verse 7. And so right here, the angel's saying, hey, remember what he promised you. He's going to come back, and he's going to meet you in Galilee. Now, notice their reaction, verse 8. They fled from the tomb. They are trembling. They're in astonishment. Fear had seized them. They said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now, the other gospels say they go, and they tell the other disciples, and John's gospel says that they all run out to go see the tomb. But Mark's gospel ends right there. they're they're just astonishment. They're amazement. Words, they just don't know how to say what they just saw. Now, there's a part in your Bible, because it's in my Bible, it's probably in your translation, where you see a little footnote. And you see a footnote uh, right there, and it says verses 9 through 20 are more than likely from not in earlier manuscripts. And so there is some debate of whether verses 9 through 20 are written by Mark, or they were added later. Now, if you've got a King James or a New King James, you don't have that footnote. And so what has happened is we believe, because now we have found earlier and earlier manuscripts written in the Greek, that at some point verses 9 through 20 were added. That those weren't original to Mark, and there's a lot of reasons for that. We did a, a podcast on that that's coming out on Wednesday. If you kind of really want to get nerdy in that subject, we did that for you, all right? But because you probably got an Easter ham going and something in the crock pot, I'll save you from some of the nerdy talk this morning, but it's important. Verses 9 through 20 were more than likely added later, because it's not in the style that Mark writes and the earlier manuscripts, and some of our earlier church fathers say it was it was added. Now, why it's not the uh, footnote if you've got a King James or New King James, because that was used, the translation, or manuscripts they used were pretty much during the medieval times. But the earlier and earlier manuscripts, we keep finding 9 through 20 is not in there. Why am I pointing that out to you is this. Is because even though those were added in later, it doesn't change anything. It, it doesn't. There's nothing controversial in verses 9 through 20. You can read 9 through 20 and go, wow, well, that's pretty much the book of Acts right there. There's no theological issues in verses 9 through 20. It doesn't contradict anything. And here's the other thing this morning. If if you're kind of new and you go, well, hang on, I don't know if I can trust the Bible then if something was added in later. Here's what I love about what the translators are doing. They're telling you that right up front. They're telling you, they're just being open and honest. Look, more we found older and older documents, it's not there. So we're letting you know it wasn't there. We're we're just pointing that out to you. And I don't know about you, but I can really trust that when somebody's up front and honest, they're not trying to hide anything. And so what I want you to see, though, is the reaction. The reaction of verse 8. Isn't that interesting that Mark ends his gospel right there in amazement, breath taken (laughs) away. They didn't know what to say. But if you've been with us in Mark, that's pretty much what Mark does. He shows over and over. Chapter 4, when Jesus calmed the storm, they were in amazement. In chapter 4, when he heals the paralytic, they were in amazement. Chapter 5, when he heals the demoniac man, they were in amazement. Over and over, what you see in Mark's gospel is when Jesus shows his power, they're astonished. They're in amazement. They don't know what to say. And so this morning, you've got to make a decision. Is this fact or is it fiction? Yes or no? True or made up? And if you this morning just say, hey, look, I I can't buy this whole thing that this Jesus guy came back from the grave, and and I think it's fiction, I think it's a myth, I think it's just legend, it's all blown out of proportion, then then I'm just going to just logically talk to you for a few moments, because then you've got to figure out how to explain this. All right? If you just say, hey, I don't believe it, you've got to figure out how are you going to now explain all these accounts of a risen Jesus. So let me help you out. There's about 13 theories out there. And you can Google all this later and, and just read it for yourself more. But I'm going to cover three. There's 13 popular theories that explain away the resurrection. Let me highlight three of them for you. Number one is called the swoon theory. All right? The swoon theory is this that Jesus did not die on the cross, that he passed out in physical pain on the cross. Then they wrapped his body in the burial clothes, put him in a tomb, rolled the stone in front of the tomb. Now, at some point, Jesus revived himself, unwrapped all the burial clothes, rolled the stone back, overpowered the two Roman guards that Pilate had put there so no one would steal the body, and then he went on and lived his life. I mean, that, that's one of the theories out there. Now, obviously, major holes in that theory, because up to this point, Jesus would have been severely dehydrated. Before he got to the cross, they literally beat him within an inch of his life. So you have a guy who would have been beaten just severely, already experienced crucifixion, now reviving himself, rolling back a stone and overpowering two professional guards. But again, if you want to say it's fact and fiction, there's one theory you can buy into. Another one is this, the lie for profit theory, right? The lie for profit theory. That one goes like this. It's all made up. The disciples just made up the story of Jesus coming back from the grave so they could gain popularity and they could gain wealth and fame. They just, they made it all up, and they, they wrote it all, and, and so they could be popular, so they could be rich. You know when it got those disciples? It didn't get them rich. It didn't get them popular. When they started preaching Jesus coming back to life, you know what happened to them? It got them dead. That's what happened. Eleven of the twelve are, are martyred for their faith and brutally killed for their faith. John dies as a political uh, you know, prisoner out in the island of Patmos in old age by exile. So all 12 of them, who then would have had to invent this whole story about Jesus coming back from the grave, did it, and they got him killed. Now you might say, well, hang on. People in other religions, they die for a lie all the time. I mean, you, you see sometimes Muslims that would fly a, a plane in the side of a building because they believe that if they do that, that Allah is going to take them to, to heaven. So maybe the lie for profit theory, there's something to that. Well, let me spin it this way. Is there may be people from other religions that believe that lies true. They don't know it's a lie. They believe what they're doing is true. And so, yes, we might look at it and say, well, you're dying for a lie, but they don't know it's a lie. But if the disciples made this all up, and they concocted this whole resurrection story, and they lived their life for that, then they would have known from the very beginning it was a lie. And folks, I don't know about you, but people don't die knowing something's a lie they don't live that way. People aren't reasonably going to put their lives on the line knowing what they're dying for is not true. So again, resurrection is going to demand a verdict. Let me me give you a third theory, and it's this. It's the Muslim theory. The Muslim theory is this, that Jesus didn't die on the cross, that Allah took him up to heaven before he died on the cross, that, that he's with Allah in heaven. Now, the problem with the Muslim theory is someone died on the cross. And Muslims can't agree on who that was. They do not believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross as a substitute for your sins, that that was somebody else. So Muslims themselves debate on who that person was. Some of them say that it was Pilate. Some of them say that it was Judas. Some of them say it was Simon of Cyrene. But there it is. There's the Muslim theory. And I could go on on the, nother, on the other ten and just kind of Google that. There's all kinds of theories out there. Because if you say this is fiction, then you've got to be able to explain it away. But let me give you some facts. Well, let me just give you some facts of why, just some proofs real quick of why the resurrection is true. Number one, the change of the life you're going to see among the apostles. These disciples, when you end the gospels, they're hiding. I mean, they're afraid for their lives at this point because they just saw what happened to Jesus and they're thinking, "Where next, they're going to come for us. So so they're in hiding before the resurrection right after the cross. But what you see very, very quickly right after the resurrection is now these disciples openly, publicly living for Jesus and preaching Christ. And so you see a radical change in the lives of these men that can only be explained by the fact that it's true. It's not, fa- it's not fiction, it's fact. Second proof is this the women at the tomb. Now, women, I know this might upset you, but I, I think this probably should really help you just be like, all right, way to go, Jesus. In first century Judaism, women were not trusted, right? they could not legally be witnesses in a court proceeding because Jews believed you couldn't trust the story of a woman. All right, right, guys, way not to amen that right there. Good job. Perfect response, men. All right. Thank you, because if some of you would have said amen at that statement, we would have had to go a total different direction in this sermon. All right. So, thank you. But that was the fact, that was the culture, that was the day. Women could not, in court, give an eyewitness account of something that happened because it was believed you could not trust the testimony of a woman. Who's the first witnesses of the resurrected Jesus? All the ladies said, women, right? The women went to tell the men, you slept in, we came here when it was still dark, He's not here. He's risen. If that's the culture of the day, it is a horrible strategy. If they're making it all up to write women in as the first testimony of the resurrection. Why in the world would you do that? It makes no logical sense. But it is awesome to see God using women in that way, in that day, in that culture. Well, let me give you the third proof of the resurrection, and it's this. It's the reliable witnesses and eyewitnesses of the documents we have. Right now, in our possession, in the world's possession, is over 5,800 Greek manuscripts of the New Testament. And what that means is this. We have more copies of the Greek New Testament than any other work in antiquity you have more copies of anything that Homer wrote, Caesar wrote, the Iliad, the Odyssey, all those books that historians go, yeah, that's historical. You have far more copies of Greek original manuscripts of the New Testament. And pretty much all Bible scholars agree on the fact that the New Testament is written within the first century. So that means this, Jesus died somewhere on the cross between 30 and 33, and you have the complete New Testament written by the year 100. Now, you might sit there and do some math and go, well, wait a minute, that's still a long period of time between 30, 33, and about 90, you know, about 60 years. That's a long time. No, it's not. It's not compared to other religions where you have some of the works of the Quran." or the Book of Mormon, that is written hundreds of years after that leader died. Because here's the thing about writing the New Testament, here's the thing about what you hold in your hand, is when it's being written, you have plenty of men and women who are still alive that were alive when Jesus was alive. So when these letters are starting to circulate, And these teachers are starting to circulate. You have all kinds of eyewitnesses out there that would go, hang on one second. Whoa, 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 whoa. I was there. And that didn't happen that way. I was there. And he didn't say that. But what you have is none of that. You hold in your hand God's word that I believe is his word. And it's true. And you can trust it. See, the resurrection of Jesus, it demands a verdict. It's a yes, it's a no. It's fact, it's fiction. It's theory, or it's true. You got to make that decision. You know, this um, past week, I got a chance to visit with one of our homebound members, uh, Betty Irwin. Some of you guys know Betty, and uh, Betty's almost going to be 91 in May. I'm sure she doesn't mind me saying her age. Even though I don't say ladies' ages, I don't guess your age. If you literally walk up to me this morning and say, guess your guess my age, here's going to be my response. You're of age of whatever age you want to be. All right, that's my guess. You determine that, not me. So I, I don't usually say ladies' ages out loud, and I certainly don't guess, and I don't really want to know, to be honest with you, but I but I said I'm going to be 91 next month. And Betty can't really get out, but Betty watches on her iPad every week. So, so Betty, if you are watching, Happy Easter this morning. I'm glad you're able to tune in. She just sits there right there in her house and watches. She and I were talking, and, and we were talking about the church. You know, our church is uh, going to be 57 years old this year. 57 years. Betty was one of those original members of our church. And she said, on the back side of our campus, they held some of the first services here before a building was ever built under some oak trees. Vacation Bible School, Under Some Oak Trees, one of the first ones. And, you know, just amazing testimony of a lady that has given her life to Jesus, who for all these years have followed him, all these years trusted in him. And before I left, I said, Betty, you know, look, I, I, I just want to read some scripture with you before I leave and, and pray for you. What, what's a favorite verse of yours I can read this morning? You know, what, what, what's some favorite verse? I said, you got a favorite verse? And she looked at me, she said, the whole Bible's my favorite verse. I said, all right, well, look, I don't don't have time to read the whole Bible to you today. Uh, So I said, you know what, there's some special verses to me because Easter's coming up, and I I think you might agree uh, about these verses. And and she said, yeah, and I I read these verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 55 through 57. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And I said, Betty, do you believe that? She said, I believe that. And I said, I believe that too. And you know what? The only way you have victory over your sin, the only way you have victory over the grave, the only way you have life with God for all of eternity now and in heaven, is to say yes to Jesus. By faith, say, I trust in him. And, I, and that victory is mine when you trust in Christ. And so let me just ask you to bow your heads just right where you are, whether you're at home watching, you're right here in this worship center. Just, just go to the Lord right now. And I want you to answer this question. Is the resurrection of Jesus real? is it real? If you say, yes, it's real. I trust in Jesus today. Then boy, I'm going to say amen. And I'm just going to invite you to pray. And you just praise God on your heart this morning. Just pray. If you say yes to Jesus, it's real. Watch you just right where you are, you just pray. Thank the Lord for Easter. Thank the Lord for new life, forgiveness of sin. But if you right now today say, no, I don't know if I believe that. I'm going to make one more appeal to you. And that appeal is this, you've had a birth, you have a life, and you're going to have a death. And the Bible says that every person will either be in heaven or in the lake of fire for all of eternity. You're going to be in one of those two places. So whether you're at your home watching, you're right here. If today you say, you know what, I don't don't know if I know, but I'm ready to know I'm ready to believe in Jesus just like Van and Faith do, just like Betty, just like me, just like others. You're ready to become a believer in Jesus today, and you want that victory over the grave, you want that victory over sin, then right now you call out to Him. That's what the Bible says. You place your faith and trust in Him. And whether you do that here or out in the ark, encounter, or wherever you are, here's the good news. The Bible says that whoever comes to Jesus, he doesn't turn you away. No matter how long you've been away, no matter what you have done, no matter what you have said, no matter any of that sin you have done, it is Jesus and Jesus alone who cleanses you from it. And so you can simply right now just start that relationship with God. And the way we started is by praying, talking to God, letting him know what's on your heart, making that decision. But you may say, hey, I I don't know what to say. That's okay. Okay. I'm a voice of prayer. You can follow along because here's the good news is God knows your heart. And if you're ready today in your home, in this place, to say, I want to be a believer in Jesus, have my sin forgiven, and know when I die I'm going to heaven. And I invite you to pray. Dear God, today I'm ready to place my faith and trust in Jesus. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin. And I believe Jesus rose from the grave. And today I'm ready to follow Jesus. Thank you, God, for saving me. Father, today we pray that every person in this room, every boy, every girl, every teenager, every man, woman in the room watching at home has faith in Christ and in Christ alone. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm invite you to.